Evolutionary.org presents the Underground Radio Podcast with your host, Hardcore Steve, the Monster, and Mobster, the UK Beast. Prepare for the show in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Hit it! Evolutionary Underground, episode 22. We have a fun one coming for you. Summer Arnold Arms and Abs. Compliments of Geneza Pharmaceuticals. Great, great brand. So in this one, we're going to go overall and explain uh, some some really great ideas, uh, some cycles, some compounds that we really like and that Arnold really liked back in the day to build those classic Arnold arms and that tight waist and get that those nice abs popping out. So... First, let's talk a little bit about Arnold Schwarzenegger. Obviously, mobster, mobster. That was mobster's era. Uh, so he uh, he grew up with Arnold, same age. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> so Arnold, back look, Arnold. Arnold is what made bodybuilding popular uh, back in the '70s. He was winning Mr. Olympia. He was putting it on the map. He took a break from Mr. Olympia, then came back. And won it one last time. It was a big controversy, but a lot of the other bodybuilders were upset. We've talked about it on previous podcasts, but Arnold was Arnold. And um, look, at the end of the day, as biased and as political that that uh, Mr. Olympia was, the other competitors looking back realized if not for Arnold, there would have been no Mr. Olympia. No one would have even cared about the controversy in the first place. So Arnold would go on to do movies. Um, and he basically ended up being a governor of the largest state, I think the fourth largest economy in the world. And he basically anything the guy wanted to do in life, he did it. He uh, he basically, uh, you know, he could have t- taken over the world if he wanted to. So I don't think you'll ever meet anyone who uh, could have anything bad to say about him. Um, yes, he failed as marriage. He wasn't a great governor. You know, you could argue he's, you know, he did some stuff and that he swayed bodybuilding using, you know, his political sway. But at, at the end of the day, um, nobody, I had the pleasure of meeting him years ago. I had just um, won a uh, powerlifting competition and he was actually there and I was able to meet him. Um, I have a picture uh, I could pull up um, somewhere, <laughs> but yeah, it was really, he was a really nice guy and a very warm guy. So Arnold was a great, great guy. So, um, yeah, I mean, Mobster, tell us a little bit about Arnold's history and why he was so famous for his arms and small waist. If you guys look up pictures and videos, there's always these iconic pictures of him on the beach in California holding women up in the air and flexing on the beach. Uh, There really was never – there's never going to be another character like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I think that's the thing, Steve. There's obviously every man of his failings. We're all made of clay, as I think the saying goes. But in terms of his impact on the sport of bodybuilding, there's almost no argument. I mean, maybe some sort of competitor that had a thing, sort of Mike Mensa back in the day would have probably had something to say about it. But let's be honest, right? I mean, joking aside, because I'm not quite as old as Steve's inferring, I'm nearly that old. Um, Arnold's like that first bodybuilder. And it's one of those things where you could show almost anybody. 
let me give you an example, Steve. If you if you show people a photograph in the middle of nowhere, go go someplace in the middle of nowhere. How famous is a person when uh, it, it, it'd be like 30 miles from the nearest TV, uh, you know, some sort of jungle, and they've got this tiny little radio or something, but one of them went to the cinema once, or one of them went into a village where they had a TV once, and they'll know who Elvis Presley is. They'll know who Pelly is as a footballer. So it's that kind of thing. And right up there would be Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, maybe Sylvester Stallone's almost as iconic in that particular example. You know, it's like, like a sort of a Mother Teresa type thing. You literally show them a picture and be like, oh, yes, yes, Arnold. And it's like, you know, middle, it's not supposed to be civilized. There's something sort of randomly out in the jungle or up a mountain or something. This monk that hasn't been down into the village for 14 years, you don't know who he is. Just from his movies, but from, you know, it's just the whole impact. And when it comes to bodybuilding, you literally don't even have to say Arnold's surname. So there's that. Right. What about the whole arms thing? Let me get into Arnold's great talent when it comes to his stomach, when it comes to his abs, was almost because he did, didn't actually have that great of a six pack. I believe Arnold was a little bit like myself. When I've had, when I was super lean when I was younger, I had to split biceps. Literally, you could see both heads of the biceps. I was that lean. And Arnold, as lean as I was when Arnold was at his best, which is what I'm going to say the mid to, to the early to mid-70s, the leanest he got was the same as me, which was a four-pack, literally the top two rows of abs. That's as good as it got. But what he was amazing at, and what uh, some of the classic physique-type bodybuilders do now, that is the vacuum in terms of pulling the stomach in so that your waist looks small, not in his case, overtraining the obliques. So although he could deadlift quite heavy, if you never saw him, there's probably only maybe three or four photographs of him deadlifting. I think one of those is before he was even into bodybuilding. So he never thickened up the waist. And he had a great way, and this is what I was really getting at, of posing in such a way as to accentuate the width of his shoulder, the breadth of his lats. And at the same time, making you your eye was drawn to the waist because it was like that amazing veto and how he did that especially it's a very famous pose for arnold is the free quarter back now what about the actual exercises i want to get a little bit into the exercises but let's touch on something else just before we go as well arnold actually at one point even uh promoted the mystery olympia i think he did a couple of those with uh, jim lorimer when they had it uh, a couple of times in ohio or there or thereabouts he also won, funny enough, in, in my country over here, the uh, both the amateur one year, I believe he was 21 years of age, amateur Mr. Universe, and then uh, a year or two later come back and won the professional Mr. Universe. And I think he's also got a Mr. World title. At the time, until the Ronnies and the Phil Heaths and the, and, and, and the like came along, it was one of those, is anybody ever going to beat Arnold's record of, in total, seven Mystery Olympias? As you say, the controversial one, even then, um, his ability to command the audience, his ability, his influence even over the judges. And uh, he was also, and I've actually done a little this about a little bit this myself when I've been in uh, strength competitions. He's uh, psyching out of his opponents. He will get inside your head. He, there are video clips of him mimicking the poses of his competition. So he could do their posing routine and his own posing routine. He would say something to you and fuck you up so to speak, mentally, and then come out and act like a competition. And let me give you one more example, and this is an absolute classic. Um, Sergio Olivia, they're competing, just the two of them, because that's sometimes how it was back in the day, at that year's Mr. Olympia. 
and the judges are having a hard time picking out the absolute freak monster that was Sergio versus this classic-looking body of Voodoo that was Arnold. But how crafty is Arnold? The both of them are exhausted. They're, they're, they're waiting for the judges to give them a break and come to a decision. And Arnold whispers to Sergio, uh, are you tired? Yeah, yeah, he says, I'm tired too. We should just go and let them get on with it. And Sergio goes, okay, and walks off. And Arnold hesitates for a second, turns to the judges, turns to the crowd, raises his shoulders and puts his hands out as if to say, I don't know what's going on. Does one more pose, the audience goes crazy, they all start shouting Arnold, and Sergio's already off stage, looking like he's decided he's lost. This, the stagecraft, the competition, the, the craftiness of the man uh, was just otherworldly. And if, as, if you're a bodybuilder, especially if you're a 70s or an 80s or even a 90s bodybuilder, but even now, you can learn so much from what he's done and how, especially, and you and I are doing this right now, Steve, as we do this podcast, how you take your passion for the sport of bodybuilding and your comp competitive nature as a, a, a Mr. Olympia, and you tally that, as you said earlier on, into acting, into politics, into so many different things. One of my one more little story before we get into the training, Steve. He was one of the probably the first bodybuilders to do well being interviewed on TV, being interviewed in the newspapers or on radio and whatever else. And here's an example. He was interviewed way, way back in the day by the very late, but at the time incredibly famous reporter, uh, on, on TV reporter, Barbara Waters. And he comes on, Mr. Confident, as always, and sits down, thank you very much, Barbara, for being here, et cetera, et cetera, and inviting me and so on. And she immediately goes for the jugger and asks him about steroids and whether you use steroids. And he turns to her, gives her the big Arnold at that time, toothy space grin, and says, of course, but only under the auspices of a doctor. And immediately sort of takes control of the situation. And she's expecting him to be all like, I don't know what you're talking about. It's all drug-free. You know, we wouldn't do drugs, etc." So he's just owned it straight away, takes control of it, and just does it. And if you've ever seen him on the TV since, even now, Steve, he's one of those guys that walks on, affable in front of the audience the audience goes crazy he smiles he's soaking it all in enjoys the fame sits down gets super comfortable straight away relax straight away and just like the best buddies ever even if they've only just met with the interviewer and that sort of um character and that charisma is something that i, I mean as great as bodybuilders we've admired over the years i think none of them have that charisma and that's probably the one thing the outstanding sort of that's it, that he has above everybody else. Let's talk about the training. So, Arnold Arms. Why is Arnold Arms famous? He actually had two different shaped biceps. One was a peak, which he's variously described as mountain-like shape, and the other one was kind of flatter, so a shorter head bicep and a longer head bicep. And if you have a close look at the photographs, he was always twisting ever so slightly away to accentuate the one with the peak at the front and to sort of not let your eye be drawn to the one that was ever sort of slightly flatter. Both great, a pair of arms without the difference would have been great, just the same. But there was that slight difference that was noticeable, so he was all great posing them. But what about the actual training? Now, one of the things that springs to mind, and I've double-checked, because obviously no bodybuilder does the same goddamn routine all the time, guys. So what I'm going to give you now is a soundbite. It is a time and a place back in the 70s when he was training, and that, this is one of the kind of things that he was doing at the time. 
Let me let me just bring that up so I can talk to you about it while we while we're doing this uh, podcast. Incline dumbbell curl. Now that's when you're sitting down on an incline bench and you allow the arms to hang down at the side. What does that do, guys? It stretches the bicep with the bottom position, especially if you let your arms go almost all the way to the bottom, but not quite to the dead stop position. And if you keep your arms back while you're sitting on the incline bench and then bring your arms up, it's kind of like a concentration curl at the top, Steve. So you get a great contraction, which in Arnold's case would really work that peak. This would be combined with tricep press downs. And both of those are sets of four times eight to 10 reps. Press downs, I've done these, Steve. You've got a push down version and a press down version. For me, push down is kind of when you lean right over the, the handle on a lap machine or on a tricep press down machine if you've got one. And you're kind of almost sort of like a, a like, like a vice or jack on a car in the way that you're pushing the whole thing down. Whereas a press down is half a step back, elbows tucked into the side, and the upper arm stays in position. And it's just that forearm going up, up to almost a peaked bicep position and then squeezing down at the bottom. Because your body gets in the way, you can't quite straighten your arms out unless you're using a set of rope handles, which is another little sort of deviation you guys can do. If you do that version, you're going to get a great contraction. Otherwise, it's almost but not quite straightening your arms out at the bottom. And there's little variations that you can do on that, guys, which we could talk about in another podcast is how to get the best out of this particular exercise. Follow that up with, and there's an awful lot of supersets here, though it doesn't mention it in the article. I'm going to say that they were supersetting, which is, as Steve and I We'll talk about momentarily what a pump, and we can talk about the drugs that they would have taken at the time to do genetic drugs options that you'd have now. Alternating dumbbell coal, which again, if you've ever seen any videos, clips, or photographs of Arnold training, this was a lovely tempo, Steve, done in such a way as to keep tension on the arms. That there's actually a little trick you can do here, guys, which is almost what we normally do is we do one arm curl up, curl down, stop. Then the other arm curl up, curl down, stop. But the best way to do this, and this is almost a tensioner, is literally as one arm is coming up, the other one's going down or almost at the stop position, but the, both of them have tension on at the same time. And then follow that up with a superset of single arm overhead tricep extensions. Now, I actually like overhead tricep extensions. I'm getting less flexible as I get older, Steve. But for me... I get a great stretch with any of the overhead tricep extensions. And if you want to do this, concentrating on one arm at a time to really get those triceps at the top uh, with a single arm, there's a deviation there. Four, sign, four sets of 10 reps there. Preacher curl and lion French press. Now, preacher curl, I don't personally get on with, Steve. I, if, for whatever reason, maybe it's just the way that I'm built. Maybe an old, I'm an old motherfucker and I can't really get into a position with the easy curl bar. God help me with a straight bar. Uh, but uh, if you can, and if you get on with this exercise, and Arnold, there are plenty of photographs of Arnold uh, doing this exercise, so he obviously liked it a lot. And I've got to be honest, his arms looked enormous when he was doing it. Then go for it, guys. And Lion French Press. Now, I actually do a version. I'm actually, if you look at my training log online, guys, I'm doing this right now. Literally, overhead tricep extension, but you're laying down. So it comes up, the bar's behind you. You almost like a, a pullover position with the, with the barbell. And in this case, it's an easy curl bar for me, and I think it would have been for Arnold back in the day. And then straighten your arms up. So you're not uh, bench pressing it. You are. It's, it's literally a tricep movement. And it, for me, and I believe this would have been the case for Arnold, this was a bulk up. This is a big, the, all three heads of the tricep. If you've got the tricep extension, you're really working on the outer head, the one that you can see. 
whereas a French press, especially if it gets loose towards the end, is a bulker. And then finally, oh, it's four sets of 10 there, guys. And then finally on this, actually, it's not funny. It's even more, Steve. So lots of exercises here. Five to six exercises wasn't uncommon. Concentration curls, which is just a great bicep peak exercise. Reverse tricep press downs. That's the same as a press down, but you turn your hands around. And again, I'm probably a little bit old and tight, so I'd have to find a bar that suits me. If you've got the flexibility, guys, you can actually, if, if you've got the real, real good flexibility, get your hands slightly closer than you normally would. And again, what you'll find here is you can't use up uh, to two-thirds of the weight that you normally do, probably even less, maybe half. But the, the constant contraction on that outer head more than the press down, the normal version is way, way better. And especially if you've done what he's already done, the bulking exercises before. Again, four sets of eight to 10 reps. And now the last two exercises, reverse preacher curl, which is actually in this particular way, Steve, because he's already working his biceps, he's going to be more concentrating now on his forearms. And barbell wrist curl, which is a specific uh, forearm exercise. Now the reverse is going to work the muscles on the top, the extensors, and barbell wrist curl, probably done over the interventional knee, both of these four sets of eight to 10, is a, a flexor movement. Now, as Steve knows, and anybody that follows my logs, I'm a big grip slash forearm guy. So just yesterday, for example, and again, this is because I'm getting inflexible. Um, but again, I've seen photographs and videos of Arnold doing the barbell wrist curl. He could bring his hands right in close on a straight bar. I can't do that uh, so if you can do it and you do it prior, this is one of those things. And especially when you've done all the other exercises already, your your arms are going to be bloated and pumped and burning and contracting from shoulder down to wrist, Steve. I would not want to do this volume of exercise with Arnold back in the day. It would kill me. I'm not a high volume guy. But I can imagine someone like yourself, Steve, I think you'd probably be all right, Kate, once you got into this routine. What would you make out of it? Before we talk about his abs, what would you get out of this kind of routine if you were doing it, Steve, like Arnold back in the day? Yeah, and I, I've I've done a lot of his strategies myself, and he was really ahead of his time. So I really enjoy those types of workouts. Uh, my workouts are a little more um, con uh, compressed, I would say, because he's, you know, I've read that he's he went an hour or or hour and a half, you know, working on an arm day. I would never do that. Um, I understand the science a, a much more than they did back in the 70s. And we know today that doing hour and a half workouts, especially on a particular muscle, is not going to give you the type of results or at best be equal to results as going in there and really targeting your muscles for 30 or 40 minutes. So my workouts are a lot shorter than what they claim here. But I think a lot of that hour and a half workout was Arnold walk around the gym and socializing. And cause that's part of weight training. I've always been taught my first weightlifting coach always taught us that weightlifting is a social thing. You go there in between sets, you socialize, you know, you, you talk, you talk to people and that's, you know, it's a, it's like a, it's a brotherhood and sisterhood, you know, and you make friends and, and you all support each other and, and all that stuff. So I think that was a big part of it too, but I think also a lot of it was kind of uh, pushed further. So, you know, we're going to get into um, more about his training toward the end of the show. We're also going to talk about his abs and his waist toward the end of the show and talk about why 
people in the 70s had such tighter waists than people do today. But Mobster, I want to take us and and explain about Geneza Pharma and why they are the brand of choice for today's Arnold wannabes. And a lot of professional bodybuilders today who strive to be physique competitors, they use Geneza Pharma for a reason. Back in those days, anabolic steroids were much more legal, but they didn't have access to as many of them as we have today, obviously. So if they weren't being produced by a pharmaceutical company, they didn't, you know, obviously they couldn't have access to them, right? Now you can just order them online. Back then, you'd have to either get it through a doctor, you'd have to get it through a buddy whose buddy got it through the doctor. You know, so we're going to get into it. And Arnold, I have some quotes here about Arnold admitting that he ran steroids. So this is what he says, quote, I do do it under a doctor's supervision. This is what he said back then. Also, he said, um, I have used them, but no, they didn't make me what I am. So that is true. Obviously, you need genetics. You need to train. You need to diet. It's anabolic steroids are not ICNK. He says, anabolic steroids were helpful to me in maintaining muscle size while on a strict diet and preparation for a contest. Back in the 70s, they really liked to cut down hard and then use anabolic steroids to prevent muscle wasting. That is very similar to what a lot of guys do today when they bulk up in the off season, then they cut to go into a competition. They use anabolic steroids during the cut. They, they crash their carbs, they crash their calories, and they're able to cut into a competition. That's basically the strategy that guys are used today. Now, is it the strategy that I would use to tell you guys most of you out there don't compete your normal Joes. No, I would tell you year round, focus on keeping a good physique and focus on looking good. Um, he also said, this is according to NBC News, and I kind of remember this, him saying this. This was around the time he was running for governor um, of, of California. He says no, he had no regrets about steroid use. So he's openly admitting that he did use anabolic steroids. Unlike many other guys, I actually interviewed Frank Zane on, on this very podcast several years ago, and he angrily, and I mean angrily, denied using anabolic steroids. Arnold openly admits it. So, but today he, he says that it is overdone. Like people are really abusing steroids, especially in pro bodybuilding. So it's gotten out of hand. So I completely believe that he's being completely honest. And we're going to go over some of the stacks they use. But listen, at the end of the day, back in those days, the steroids they used were excellent quality. Excellent. Throughout the 90s, 2000s, and 2010s, Mobster and I, as we started using them, we yeah. have experienced many incidences where we yeah. have used crappy and yeah. underdosed steroids. Yeah. And it's ruined our cycles. It's given given us unnecessary side effects. But we are very lucky today that we have access to a great brand like Geneza Pharmaceuticals, and that's our go-to brand for a reason. Because we know when we order something from Geneza Pharma, we know it is legit. So, Mobster, let me, let me yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So, as Steve knows, part of the pre-show research, I went and looked and said, what was our bodybuilders of Arnold's ilk and Arnold's era using to get into shape, right? So we've come up with some suggestions, which we discuss 
uh, shortly. So what we do, obviously, through research, we go and look at Genes and we say, have they got these drugs that the guys were using in the septic? Yes, of course they have. So here's the thing. I'll just use this one single example, Steve. This is just to talk about accessibility, quality, uh, and just a Genesa brand. Four pages with 21 products, I think. I think the last page might have slightly less. So nearly 80-something products. And these will be variations on a thing, guys. But that's 80 different options of different steroids, different kinds of steroids, and obviously different doses, and 80 options from Genesa Pharma just there, just that, nothing else. Right now, again, as Steve says, and a great example of this, Arnold and others, and Frank, I've got to be honest, right? He's a liar. <laughs> they used to call him the doctor, they used to call him the scientist. One, because of his training, how analytical he was, but also because I believe, and this you can quote me on this if you wish, guys, I'm pretty sure I can back it up by checking that he was the guy that was able to give them suggestions on cycles and how they run those cycles. I think, obviously, he's got angry because it becomes the focus of, a, of an interview where you go, oh, the only reason that Frank looked like Frank is because of the drugs he's taken. And, of course, that's rubbish. He looked like that because of the training. He looked like that because of nutrition. And he looked like that because of his genetics. It wouldn't be, I don't look like the way that I look just because of Debo. That's obvious. But to say that he never used it, well, that's just ridiculous. So here's the thing, guys. Arnold and others of his ilk at the time had the fortunate situation then that steroids were, one, legal. There wasn't a law against the bodybuilders using them. Two, uh, you come to California, you got hooked up with a doctor. And there, I believe the, the rumours had it specifically that there was like down the street a doctor that they could go to who would monitor their bloods back in the day, make sure everything was okay, ask them questions about other cycles going, and obviously you can physically look at them and see if they're having problems with spots and oily skin and going on God knows where else. And again, as often as not, Steve, and this is still the case now, it was a doctor that would have been a fan of bodybuilding. He was living in California, he was a fan of the lifestyle. Heck, he probably came to the gym and trained. So having that kind of accessibility and so on. A great example of this uh, off, off subject slightly is Pete Griminski talking about a ridiculous amount of steroids that he'd taken and getting sent a box because his uncle worked for a pharmaceutical company. That doesn't happen anymore, if only it did. So, yeah, the accessibility to a quality product like Genesa Pharma now is above and beyond anything that the 70s bodybuilders would Heck, Steve, we were still talking about buying stuff out of so the bag and a, and a bodybuilder's trunk in the 80s and 90s. It's only in the late 90s, to early 2000s and onwards that we've had access via the internet to companies like Genesa Pharma producing high-quality products in laboratories with scientists. And, and we know just from the feedback how good these products are. We've used some of these products ourselves. We know what the situation is. Arnold... Now, and all the other 70s bodybuilders, if they, if they were coming into their own now, if they were bodybuilders now, the accessibility, the quality, the range, the diversity of that range of products is above and beyond anything they had back in the day, Steve. Absolutely. Back to you. So let's kind of start going over what the guys, I'm going to give you guys a couple steroids. Mobster is going to give you a couple steroids uh, based on reports that we've read, based on what was available at the time. And the first steroid that Arnold loved was DECA. 
And Decadurabolin in those days came in 200 milligram per milliliter. Now, Geneza Farmer, I'm looking, and he would have loved this Geneza Pharma Deca because it's 300 milligrams per milliliter. So that would mean less injections. Guys in those days hated needles. They hated injections, all right? It was considered much more taboo than it is today. So they much preferred to take pills. So when it came to DECA, DECA would have been a wonderful. Now, here's why DECA was so wonderful what, Why back then. And Mobster is going to go over Nandrolone phenylpropionate, which is a short-acting version of Nandrolone. DECA is the long-acting. So DECA is in your system longer. But the reason they loved Nandrolone, in this case DECA, was because, number one, they didn't have to inject it very much and very often. You can inject DECA once a week if you want. So it's 200 milligrams, what they were using in those days. In this case, with GP300, you can inject 1.5 cc's of GP DECA300, and you're good for the week. That's it. Once a week, that's it. Good to go. You don't have to worry about chasing after, remembering to take pills and all that crap. All right? They love that. Number two, it didn't aromatize very much compared to testosterone. A fifth as much as testosterone. So they love that. Remember, in those days... They couldn't get an anti-estrogen. They weren't around yet, all right? Even if they were around yet, they wouldn't have known to use them. They didn't start using anti-estrogens till several, several years later. Really, it wasn't until the late 80s where Novodex came around, and then they started using Novodex on cycle-to-combat estrogen. But back then in the 70s, they had no clue what DECA, what, what uh, Novodex was. They didn't know anything. I mean, they didn't, they didn't have aromatized inhibitors in those days. So basically, if you got gynecomastia, you basically either had to come off steroids and hope it went away or get a surgery. And, you know, surgeries in those days was, was not like today. So it was a huge risk, a huge risk. And I guarantee you a lot of wannabe bodybuilders ended up getting gynecomastia and it ruined their careers back then. And it was a very embarrassing thing. I mean, bitch tits. I mean, we laugh at people you know, in the locker room, you know, growing up in middle school, kids would take off their shirts and have bitch tits and everyone would make fun of them. It was a really, really big deal. So you can imagine what they went through in the 70s, especially since they didn't really understand why am I growing boobs, you know? So that's why DECA was so popular. So they couldn't use testosterone because it aromatized too much. So they use, they would use DECA. Now, the other steroid that they would have loved, they, they loved in those days, was Dianabol. But you're going to say, oh, Steve, Dianabol aromatizes into estrogen, right? Yes, it does. But here's the thing with Dianabol. They were smart about using it. They would use it, and if they started noticing any type of estrogen issues, they would cut it off or they would drop the dosage right away. In this case, GP has a great Dianabol. It's extremely cheap. It comes in 50 milligram pills. So obviously in those days, they would cut it into pieces. So Arnold would love using DECA. And love using D-ball, especially in the off-season. He used a handful of D-ball. Back then, they'd sell, they'd sell them in much lower milligrams. But he would love this Dianabol 50 because all he would have to do is get a pill cutter and cut it into pieces. So a simple cycle, you know, let's say they did 400 milligrams a week of the DECA, and you could do, say, 25 milligrams a day of the D-ball together, and you would get a nice bulking effect, and, and the side effects wouldn't be that bad. So that would be two that the Arnold would have loved back then. And the re the, the, the main reason that Dynabol and Mobster and I talked to this on the pre-show is the D-Bowl 
pumps. And if you watch videos of Arnold working his arms, oh, he yeah. always, always had an incredible pump with veins popping out. That's the D-Bowl at work. There is nothing that can compare to D-Bowl pumps. Nothing. And Arnold loved the pump. He absolutely loved it. Mom, sir, give us a couple, if you want to comment on that, but also give us a couple steroids that you have um, heard that they they love to use back in those days. Right. Now, one is actually a derivative of DECA, and and, and we're talking about nandrolone phenylpropionate, or NPP, as we call it for short. And Geneza does a great version of this with a 10 mil vial, 100 milligrams a mil. So funny enough, Steve, actually, the kind of dosages that you were referring to just now when you talked about the lower dosages that they were using back then. So why use this? Well, first off, let's talk about it as though it was DECA, because if you're in competition training, and we're talking about getting in shape, summer Arnold arms and abs, why? So we're getting into shape, we're looking good for the summer, and you can take the stuff that we're talking about, Arnold, and apply it to your training. So what's this about? When you're doing a competition cycle, which is when you're getting into your shape, when you're getting ready for the summer, in the case of the typical uh, listener, you are going to, re- and this is something that comes into modern bodybuilding as well, Steve, you're going to use shorter esters, stuff that's in and out of the system quicker. Now, why use a DECA or a DECA derivative like NPP? Well, this is another thing that happens, and any of you that's got into serious, serious condition can pony up on this. And please remember to tie in with my comment about the volume of training earlier on. You're training higher volume if you do Arnold's routine like Steve says an hour and a half and that's one exercise after another Steve that's going to pump you but what's it also going to do as you get drier as you get leaner it's going to make your joints ache now that's just from them being drier and that's just from them being leaner we're assuming please God guys that you don't have ongoing injuries so DECA or in this case NPP with its shorter rest for the summer cut getting into shape from Geneza is going to help you with that joint discomfort while you're on cycle. I've got to reiterate that purely and simply because a lot of people think that DECA fixes joints. It does not. You are comfortable while you're training. You're comfortable while you're using it. But if you're still pounding the hell out of your joints, they will feel sore after because you haven't fixed the issue. You've just masked it. But again, this is us using medication to get ourselves into shape to look good for the beach, to be ready for the summer versus going and getting some kind of therapy or stopping us doing stupid stuff in the gym. At the end of the day, guys, it's a tool. And so NPP here, as I say, specifically, is a shorter ester, a faster in, faster derivative of DECA. And it's, as I'll read the description, it's saying great for tested bodybuilders and athletes because it's in and out your system quicker. But again, for me, in this example, it's the difference between using DECA in the off-season, which I can see quite easily, and then using it in summer training for our listeners, or in Arnold's case, getting into shape for a competition. Because as Steve knows, especially when it comes to competition shuckles, we're going to move stuff around, we're going to do different things. Now, what else? Uh, on my list here, Steve, we're looking at also, for example, Winstrol. Um, let me bring that up while we're talking. Winstrol, as you know, guys, and funny enough, this is another reason why I would be doing DECA or DPP, would be this issue of drying out the joints, Steve. There's an argument to be made for this particular drug. And again, it's a great drug. Geneza does one. Uh, for example, I'm just looking at your oral version here, Steve. 
10 milligram pills. And again, funny enough, the lower dosage pills, as Steve referred to when you talk about the default, we have accessibility now. But back in the day, they had a lot of their medication, the pills as well as the injectables, was it, it came from pharmaceutical companies. And because it was being used for medical conditions, a lot of them was like one and twos and fives and tens. So that was extremely common versus the 20s, the 30s and 40s and 50s and even 100 milligrams that we can get in pills, never mind the injectable steam. So what happens sometimes with Winstrol is that you dry out. This is precisely what you want it for. And again, you go for that great Genesa Pharma uh, option. But that's why I would also use a DECA or, or an MPP because you want that kind of lubricated feel to your joints. But it's a great conditioning drug there, Steve. So you've also got a 50, mil, 50 milligrams uh, tablet version of this, guys. So you, as I say, as Steve touched on with the Devo, we have more options now for us to do these cycles and versions of the cycles. That's what they had back in the day. But would they have used 50s? I think so, Steve, for sure. And in fact, one more thing on that particular stuff when it came to, and I'll let Steve finish off in a moment, when it came to the rumours around Arnold, and I suspect this, Steve, was a combination, probably a little bit of fact and a little bit of jealousy. So rumours had it back in the day, and I think it's specifically Debo here, Steve, that when everybody else was using fives and tens, Arnold was the first one to go to 30. Arnold was the first one to go to 100. And eventually that story becomes Arnold would take handfuls and throw him in his mouth. And of course, in reality, I suspect that might have happened on occasion when the guys were giving each other shit. But I suspect there's an awful amount of they couldn't quite figure out why Arnold simply looked better than them. And guys, this is a piece of advice for you. And before we get into the ab training and obviously following the pharmaceuticals and, and, and finish off, it's because he had great genetics and because even as Steve said, when they were in the gym socializing and bullshitting and yanking each other, training, jibbing each other, when they stopped, training was super intense, full on. We've all seen the videos, we've all seen the clips, goofing around one minute and then head right back in the game, as we say here in Wales, head on, right back on a few seconds later and absolutely concentrating 100% on what they're doing. And again, you are around Steve, surrounded by champions. So talk about uh, Provara now, Steve, as the sort of drug that are also. Yeah. So we're going to, you know, talk about, there's a couple more I want to talk about uh, besides uh, Proviron. There's also another one that they really, really love and Arnold really love. And these are great for the waist, for the abs. These are cutters. These are ones that Arnold would have used going into competition. And these are ones that guys absolutely have loved over the past 50 years. First one, as Mobster mentioned, the GP Proviron 25. Now, Proviron by itself, it's not really going to do much except harden you up a little bit. But when you stack it into a cycle, they absolutely loved it. It's an absolute must to use Proviron if you're using any type of Nandrolone. So whether it's what Mobster mentioned, the NPP version of Nandrolone, Nandrolone phenylpropionate, or you're using the Decadurabolin version of Nandrolone, which is Nandrolone dec dec decolonate, um, you want to use a Proviron with it. Proviron is a DHT derivative, straight DHT derivative. It's going to offset those nasty decadic risks of using a nandrolone because it's going to help balance your dihydronandrolone with dihydrotestosterone. So it's all about balancing the body. They always, the guys back then who were in the know, which Arnold was, they knew to use Proviron with nandrolone. They knew it worked. 
They knew it helped them. They didn't quite understand the science at the time. Maybe a couple of them did. Maybe Arnold did. I don't know. But maybe he, he a doctor sat down with him who was really, really smart and ahead of his time and explained to him why you should run for Byron with an Androlone. I don't know. But most of the guys had no clue. Even today, some of the guys who were around back then, you watch their videos, they have no clue about this. Um, you know, all they knew know is just stick steroids up their butt and and go work out and they would get results. But Proviron is an absolute must. So they would use anywhere from 25 to 50 milligrams of Proviron and they loved it, especially going into a cut and especially when using any type of nandrolone. The other one they love, Mobster, is Primabolin. Now, back then, because they didn't have access to antiestrogens, as I ranted about earlier, yeah. they wanted something that they could run for a long period of time at a high dose and not have to worry about getting gynecomastia or water retention or any of that stuff. Primabolin is perfect for that, and it would have been perfect in those times. It's not a cheap steroid, um, and... That was another advantage over your competition because if you could afford to get Prima Bolin, as Arnold could afford to run a lot of Prima Bolin, in fact, the reports that I've seen have him running 700 milligrams a week of Prima Bolin, which it would have been an extremely expensive cycle. And even today, it's an extremely expensive cycle. Um, so, but that gave him an advantage over his competitors who didn't have sponsorships and didn't have money. And these yeah. guys were trying to break into bodybuilding. They couldn't afford to use Primo. So he had the advantage. So GP Prima, it's 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 spelled P-R-I-M-A, not Primo, but Prima. And it's 100 milligrams per milliliter. It's as good as a, a Prima Bolin as you're going to find. Keep in mind, most Prima Bolin out there is fake. I would say almost yeah. all Prima Bolin back in the 90s and 2000s would have been fake. It would be very hard to find real Prima Bolin. But GP has a legitimate Prima Bolin. So – that GP Primo 100, if you want to use what Arnold used, do what he did and just inject one CC every day. And that would that would be a lot of injecting, but this is what he did. And this is one of the secrets to why he had such a tight waist. He didn't have any bloat and he he had those cuts to his muscles that you know we, we can dream about in our dreams. But Primo Bone was a big reason why. And they loved using Dianabol with Primobolin, a little bit of Dianabol with Primobolin. And then you cut off the cut off the D-bowl toward the end of, of your uh, as you get closer to your competition. You stop the D-bowl, D-ball is out of your system, no water retention, just looking cut. You go on stage, you flex, all you see is the cuts, and you don't see any water in the muscles. That's what they love to do back in the 70s. And that's what you can do today if you want to mimic the Arnold arms and Arnold waste yeah go ahead primo, i'm gonna jump in here with the primo steve and I'll, I'll talk about from the product description and it says and i quote seems to work well with calorie restricted diets in other words guys when you're getting into shape let me touch on something else steve which i think was one of those rumors from that time and actually in its own way applies to the modern professional bodybuilder as well right up to the time just before the trt clinics made it a different way and obviously the underground labs like we're talking about here you're arnold schwarzenegger you are mr olympia you are a very high ranking bodybuilder a pal of arnold's you've got accessibility via doctor down the street 
what else used to happen, Steve? This is how great this stuff is. And I think it's kind of living the dream, perhaps, for some of our listeners. Heck, even I've been given stuff for free, as you know. You were given steroids, Steve, by fans. You Doctors that were fans, scientists that were fans, people that worked for pharmaceutical companies that could get all this stuff would give it to you. you. If you're on the up and up, you are paying for it. If you are a wannabe bodybuilder, you're paying for it. If you're starting to make a name for yourself, you're probably going to get deals. You might get even the occasional samples given for free if you start to compete locally or something like this. But if you're Arnold Schwarzenegger or someone like Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, so as to not solicit a bug in a moment, people give you stuff for nothing. So here's the situation, I think. Not only, as you said, because he was very, very financially savvy, even at that time, never mind now, would he be in a position of being able to use sponsors, having supplements given to him, getting money from Joe, doing other bits of business, making money from, even in those days, from property. But you're also going to be in that situation of, as you say, being able to source. Again, this happens when you're a top professional. Much better access to high-quality material back then, even if the actual range and number of product is nothing like what Geneza Pharma can offer you now, you still have a greater accessibility to quality products versus the stuff out of the trunk of the car, as I talked about earlier. But guys, they got given stuff for free. So I guarantee that what Steve said about the uh, Primo was half correct insofar as the expense in those days and never mind the expense now because you need a quality product like the Primo from GP but you also need in Arnold's situation I think free products Steve so you know you're in that situation where the other guys literally can't afford to don't have the access and literally you are being given stuff for free that they can't get so you know he has that advantage as the Mr Olympia as all of the very, very high-ranking bodybuilders because they would have all had their fans, all have been in that situation. And one more thing, guys, and this is very true of the time. We know, and Steve talked about the social aspect earlier on, we know Pumping Irons is a good example. Obviously, it's documentary, and it's a little tiny bit made up, more of a docudrama, Steve. But it was also true in that you had a bunch of competing against each other bodybuilders, all in the same gym, which was true, all going out to eat together, which was true all driving around and chasing girls and going on a beach or sunbathing together, which was true. So what are they? what's also going to be true is that they're going to share sources, they're going to share information. If a person's got a spare vial hanging around and his buddy wants it, they'll sort all of that's going on. And then, like I said, you're going to have people coming up and giving you stuff that are fans. I want a picture with you. I can get this for you. Boom. Go out to dinner, say hi, talk to my girlfriend, some photographs. Boom. Sometimes just stuff sent in the post. That's just how crazy that kind of stuff is. And it, right up to the 80s, Steve, this kind of thing was going on. And then when the sport blew up again, especially when Arnold started doing the movies, and then you, you, you went from, say, maybe 3 million people training to be bodybuilders to 30 million people training to be bodybuilders and hitting the gyms in America, as is the case now, but it's even more than that, then the market just blows up. And that's when Geneza Pharma and companies like Geneza come on board and do the business that they're doing and create the products. And again, I said, I would love to see, and I know it's actually been done a couple of times, what Arnold would look like now with the accessibility for products like companies like Geneza Pharma producing and uh, just, and it, it, guys, 
I would actually say it's cheaper in some ways now because this is one of the few times where products don't haven't gone up by the ratio to other things like food, for example, in the 70s versus now and the cost. And it's actually slightly better now than, than almost anything else. We should be paying thousands of dollars, not hundreds of dollars for our cycles, guys. And again, Geneza Farm is going to give you a solid product, especially when they got deals on and, and uh, the reps that sell their products have got deals on, guys. So definitely do that. Let me touch on now, Steve, a little bit about the ad training because I think this is super important. Guys, why do bodybuilders like Arnold have small waist? I talked about it earlier on. Vacuums, posing in such a way as to produce the image or perception of a small waist. But here's something else. They didn't get that out of shape. The whole bulking and cutting thing, which was probably 60s and 70s, had kind of gone out of vogue by the time Arnold came along. There are very few photographs of Arnold seriously out of shape in the off-season. There's some great photographs, if you guys want to look him up, of him pumped probably on D-ball like a motherfucker, Steve. Maybe not in competition shape, but looking like almost a modern freaky-type bodybuilder, especially with the lighting and so on and so forth. So what we're looking at is food was not binging, we, we and Steve talked about this on a pre-show. It's actually kind of bizarre in, in the way that, I mean, this is an example that Steve and I were talking about. There are photographs from that time of a typical beach. I think it's either a UK beach or an American beach. And who, almost no one's out of shape. And Steve and I said, if you look at the modern version of that photograph, there'll be a few people in shape, but the great and vast majority of people are out of shape. And yet accessibility to a variety of food from all over the world is as great as it's ever been in history and yet people are making bad food choices. Now, limited choices back in the day of relatively healthy food made bodybuilders like Arnold and his pals not get out of shape. They weren't fat in the off-season. They weren't puffed up in the off-season. They didn't have huge, great chins and bellies that were sticking out in the off-season. If they ate ice cream and stuff like that, it was in moderation. So they wanted to look good all the time. And again, you're living in California. You don't want to be walking around covered up in layers of clothing with your belly hanging out. You want to look good all year round. You want to be able to wear it. If the worst in the off-season is a T-shirt covering up your shoulders and your chest and your stomach and a pair of shorts. And we've seen plenty of photographs of Arnold Rodder, like even now. But So it wasn't getting out of shape and eating healthily. And again, not great massive binges of food. Heck, Steve, even I'm guilty of that because they wanted that stomach to stay tight. They wanted that stomach to say small. So that's the thing. Let me talk about here, Steve, just for a second. And this is an example, guys, of the kind of abdominal training that was being done at that time. And again, I'm referencing research that I've done for you guys just to give you an example. Crunches, Roman chair sit-ups. On that particular one, Steve, on the Roman chair sit-up, there are photographs of other bodybuilders at Gold's Gym. Hundreds of reps. I believe there's even photographs and it might even be a video clip of them chatting while they're doing this exercise because they know that they're going to be there that long. One I particularly like, and I believe you've got photographs of Arnold doing this one and the next one you can see online if you guys search for it, hanging leg raises. And that's a great way for flattening the stomach. You can do the floor version, but the hanging version is actually a little bit harder. And that's whether the, whether the knees come up to your chest or whether your legs are out straight. It flattens the stomach. In other words, you're still trying to get those abs to pop but you're keeping the stomach flat. It's not bulging. Crunches actually sometimes make the stomach bulge a little bit. And the last one, and I know that there are photographs of this, 
and he used to do the bent over version as well as the straight up version, broomstick twist. Now, again, the trick with that, and I'll touch on this as a, as, as a, a, a training tip for you guys, is to flex the stomach when you're doing it. Flex the abs. To just stand there with a broomstick on your shoulders, twisting backwards and forwards, does very little. And I've, I've God help you, Steve, I've been to a gym. We've actually got another podcast on this coming up on the strange and funny things that we've seen in gyms. I used to train in a gym in Peckham in Southeast London, and there was one guy that was doing some sort of twisting thing for the whole goddamn time that I was there. So hour and a quarter, hour and a half, one hour, whatever. And that's all he did. And he was podgy. He was not burning shit. Guys, you are not going to suddenly make your abs pop or burn off a load of fat doing broomstick twists. The trick is to train your abs with the other exercises we've already mentioned. And again, they don't mention the reps here. It was just 40, 50, 100, sometimes with the Roman chair stuff, hundreds of repetitions. But in this case, with the broomstick, by flexing your stomach, keeping it tight through the whole movement and after you've done the other abdominal exercises. And again, Arnold, I think, at the photographs that I recall, he's not just doing the twisting backwards and forwards, but he's also doing we twist over to the sides. And why is he doing that? Because it mimics his three-quarter back. He would do the kneeling version or a version where one arm is higher and another arm is lower. So he's bending himself over into that position that he's going to be in and working the abs. So he's actually thinking about how the pose is going to be, how the stomach, I want the stomach to look, and then mimicking that exercise or doing a version of this exercise to accentuate that look in that position, Steve. Back to you. So you bring up some really good points, Mobster, for sure. And I hope you guys are listening to what we're telling you. Now, when it comes to, you know, getting those um, incredible abs, obviously, as Mobster said, if you're someone who've got, you've got some body fat on you and your stomach and you go to the gym and you think that you can do a hundred sit-ups a day and you're magically going to get a tight waist. So what happens is a lot of times, this is a mistake. A lot of personal trainers made too is, They'll, they'll put someone, have them do a bunch of sit-ups who, who is overweight. But look, you got to lose that body fat first. You got to use, use your total body fat. You can't just go to the gym, do sit-ups, magically lose your body fat. So it starts in the kitchen, all right? Once you get lean, then you can start shaping your abs. That's, that's a beautiful thing. But what's the difference between the 70s and today? Marketing, food companies, they've made food into a treat. Parents, when they raise their kids, the kids whine for food. The parents want to shut them up. The parents, they have their own lives. They don't really want kids, whatever, okay? That's, I mean, I don't want to be mean about it, but they'll shut the kid up. They'll take them to McDonald's. Here, go to McDonald's, eat your fucking junk food. Here's some cereal. Here's some sugary foods. Just shut up, you know? Um, I have I have a meeting in the morning. I, I don't want to deal with your shit. That's what we've grown up you know, with that kind of mentality. And as adults, whenever we feel a certain way, we want to go and use food as a treat, you know, and we do the same thing with our pets. When our pets are annoying us, we want to feed them. We want to give them a treat just to shut them up. Leave me alone. I don't want to play with you. I'm busy. I want to watch the show on TV. Here's, here's a, here's some treats here. Go, go eat this ice cream sandwich. You know, they have ice cream sandwiches now for dogs. And we wonder why our dogs are all obese too along with us. So listen, at the end of the day, what you put in your body, the accessibility to food, you can have whatever you want, whenever you want right now. 
2023. You can pick up the phone and you can order anything and you'll have it at your doorstep. Okay. 24 seven. And depending on where you live, you can go to a restaurant 24 seven and sit down and order a steak 2 a.m. in the morning. You want a steak? You can go eat a steak at 2 a.m. in the morning. The 70s, they didn't have that. They didn't treat food that way in the 70s. Okay. If you want sitcoms in the 70s, Monster and I are talking about it. Everyone was lean. Did you notice in sitcoms in the 70s, they didn't sit around and have these big ass fucking meals every night and have their you know, a conversation? You they, you never watched them back then. Eat, eat food wasn't the way it is today. Now in sitcoms, everyone's obese on the sitcom. Look at Roseanne, for example. That's that's fucking that's that's um, that's America for you. You know, and they all sit around, and have these big dinners and they're passing around food and they're so proud of themselves or stuffing their face. That's what we become. So stop treating food like a treat and start treating food the way they treated it back in the 70s, the way Arnold treated it. OK, food was the last thing they worried about in the 70s. Yeah. Now it's like the first thing everyone wants. You got to have tons of protein. You got to have this much carbs, you got this much fat. You know, it's it's complete bullshit, and it's just it's just marketing to the extreme. You think that back then they had six hundred grams of protein? And you think Arnold ate six hundred grams of protein a day back then? Fuck no. He even admits it today. It's all bullshit. It's just marketing. He barely ate any red meat. Barely. He barely had it. And um, you know, he followed pretty much a the same diets that people today in the blue zones follow which is lots of fruits, lots of vegetables as a big part of their diet. And then you have, you know, some dairy and some meat here and there, but nothing like today, the way we suffer ourselves and processed foods, zero processed foods. Now, 98% of the American diet is processed foods. It's ridiculous. Um, you know, now they have uh, you know, anywhere you go and you want to eat something, it's all junk food because it's cheap to produce junk food. And there's a much more margin on junk food. It's not, it's not, you know what I'm saying? So it's become ridiculous the way we treat food today. And you go to anybody's house and go to anybody's house and look in their pantry, look in their fridge, look in their freezer and tell you right away. Yeah. This person, they're going to, they're a type two diabetic. This person, they're going to get cancer. This person, they're obese. I can go, I could, I could do it. I don't, I don't even need to see that. I can look at your trash and look at the stuff you're recycling and, and tell you what kind of health you're in. So just look at the food you're eating, guys and gals. If you want to get lean, it starts in the kitchen. It starts in the kitchen. So that's the big difference back then. And then you can use the workouts come secondary and the steroids come secondary. Once you dial in your diet, then it gets easy. Now you can get on some Geneza Pharma steroids and get that physique that you've always dreamed of. So check out Geneza Pharmaceuticals. It's a great, great brand. I use them. Mobster uses them. We highly recommend them. So Mobster, why don't you finish out the show and take us to the disclaimer. I think it was a great show. Here's what I would do, guys. Here's what I would do, guys. I would, I would get a meal prep company on board if I was Arnold. And honestly, you've got no excuse not to get into shape now. First off, the accessibility for information for you guys, whether it comes to recipes and cooking and stuff like that on YouTube or Instagram or whatever else, is just beyond all recognition compared to just 10 years ago, never mind Arnold's time. So you've got no excuse not to know how to cook. You've got no excuse not to know how to put food together. Now, if you can't, you're super busy. And if you've just got the money, 
meal prep. There are guys at the Arnold right this weekend as we record this podcast that have had meal prep stuff delivered. So you can meal prep yourself or you can have meal prep, meal prep food companies deliver products to you. Arnold didn't have that. So you can actually get into better shape than Arnold. You've got a greater accessibility to pharmaceutical products from companies like Geneza Pharma than Arnold ever had back in the day. So you can take Arnold's training, Arnold's cardio, running on the beach, rowing, playing tennis, follow his training, mimic his diet. What do I mean by mimicking his diet? The half the ingredients, Steve. If you looked at the food then and looked at the labels versus now the ingredients are twice as long, the stuff on there that you've never heard of, you have to look it up. So you can meal prep yourself or you can have meal prep companies deliver and then you can use Geneza Pharma to give you that polish. High quality products, unbelievable range compared to what they would have had in Arnold's time. 80 plus options on one site alone that I looked at. Different versions of stuff and just products that they never even had access to or they never even heard of because it was in another country. You have that now. Do what Arnold did with the vacuums. Do what Arnold did to get into shape. And you could well be the next Arnold. If you've got that charisma, if you've got that magic, if you've got that spark, then you could well be that person that takes the sport to another new, new level. That would be absolutely amazing, Steve. I'd love for that to happen. Please note, we are not doctors and opinions are ours. It's our view and is based on Eric's views and views on the topic. Our podcast of informational purposes and entertainment only, the freedom of speech and the First Amendment applies.